Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Thank you for the period, Paul. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the, the, just the sweet, awesome riches that we're going to be diving into this morning of the blessings in Christ. Lord, I pray that your word would have its way. Lord, take over this time. Lord, may your word um, have its authority in our hearts. May we worship you with our attention. God, and I pray that you would, would fill me with your spirit. Lord, that your words would come forth, Lord, that, that um, you help me to be clear, Lord, and true to your word, Lord, and that we would just worship you, Lord, that we'd be in awe of the great God you are, Lord, and rest and stand in who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I love my job. I have an awesome job. I just started about, about this time last year, I started, I finished getting my teaching credential, and, and I started part-time at, at a Christian school uh, down in, in Modesto, and this year I, I got hired for, as a full-time uh, position, and I have a dual position. Half-time I'm in the classroom. I teach first graders, and that is full of lots of excitement and lots of noise, and I manage, but it is a blessing. It's, it's an it's a absolute treat to get to teach and, and to teach these kids the word and teach them math. I enjoy math, and I enjoy teaching them how to read. It's really fun watching them grow. Well, I have another position there, and I'm the director of student life. I, I share the, uh, both positions. And as director of student life, I, I, have a, I wear a number of hats. Sometimes I, I'm kind of like a shepherd. It's a Christian school, so I get to meet with kids and disciple them. I, I, I spend a lot of time with fifth grade boys. As a man at an elementary school where there's um, not a lot of male influence, I like to, to, in, to spend time with those boys and, and teach them about the Lord and encourage them in that. Um, I serve as a vice principal in, in a lot of senses. Um, I, I deal with discipline issues. Kids come to the office, and they get to speak with Mr. Markovich, and I get to make phone calls and talk to parents and tell them what their kids did, or I get to call parents and tell them what happened to their kids, and that's certainly a lot of fun. Um, but I enjoy it. I love it. 
But another hat I wear there is often I find myself to be a counselor. Kids, and I don't know if it's gotten worse in the last 20 years, 30 years, but man, kids are struggling these days. Kids come and they have anxieties and they have difficult things, and whether it's a, it's a tough home life or just things going on that, that, that just seem overwhelming. Uh, a boy I've been working with the last couple of weeks just really just, just kind of struggling. And, and before I was a teacher, I worked um, in social services for a number of years and definitely saw struggling kids. It wasn't unusual for me to be working with someone, a young, young person that had a lot of suicidal thoughts. Kids, young people, teenagers, to work with a kid and see their arms slashed up because they've been cutting themselves because that's how they dealt with their depression. It's not, not unusual. Just anguish. Horrible things that they're thinking. And, and what do you do? Where do you, where do you go when you have someone in that depression and that, that heart, their, their soul is just in darkness? How do you encourage them? What, what do you say to them? Well, Ephesians 1 is where I go. It's where I've been the last couple of weeks with one boy. And it's for all of us. It's for you if you are struggling. If, in your, if you're in an Eeyore season of life, just walking around depressed, struggling. It's for you if, you, if you're really in a dark, you're, you just feel like your soul's in a dark season. It's for you if you feel like life is really hard. Ephesians chapter 1's got some sweet things. It's for you if you think life is awesome and great and you have all these many, many, many blessings in your life, you have to still have proper perspective. And Ephesians chapter 1 is it. See, the, secularly, the secular world, when a kid is struggling, especially with depression and those kind of things, a lot of times we use, the word that's used is self-esteem, right? We have to build up their self-esteem. They need to feel better about themselves. They need to esteem themselves more highly. Well, as Christians, we know that's not correct, right? Because we know we don't want them to think necessarily good about themselves because, well, we're not good. Uh, the Bible teaches we've all sinned and, and, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good. So we, want, we don't want them to think highly of themselves. We don't want to think highly of ourselves. Rather, we want to esteem ourselves rightly. Not highly, but rightly. Do you esteem yourself rightly? Now, there's two parts of that. On one side, it's understanding that, yes, no one is good apart from Christ and his working in us, that we're all sinners, that we deserve to be punished. On the other side, we want to recognize that we have this great grace. We want to realize that we have a sinful nature, a fleshly nature, the old man. But on the other side, we realize that we're created in the image of God, capable of loving. And so we need to find a place in the middle, and that place for us, is our identity in Christ. And that's what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about, our identity in Christ. So again, I'm a teacher. Teachers like to have learning objectives or goals. So my learning objective, my goals this morning are twofold. Number one, that as we read through this text, that you would find your identity in Christ and that you would be in awe of how blessed you are. As we read through this, I just want you to leave here amazed at how hooked up you are in Christ, that you would see your identity and be in awe. And the second thing is, as you recognize your blessing in Christ, that we would be inspired to live to the praise of his glory. And we'll get to that when we get to verse 12. 
So it begins, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. The author of this book, Paul, um, this book is amazing. It's one of my favorite books in scripture. I've been chomping on the bit to teach this to youth, but God hasn't hasn't said yes yet, so we'll have to wait till he says yes. But I love this book because it's, 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 full of, it's full of doctrine and application. I'm a very pragmatic person, so I love hearing, you know, God loves me. I love hearing, you know, great, you know, theological points in Scripture. But I'm a, like, let's get it done type person. So tell me, God, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live this out? So that's what, where Ephesians rocks. Because Ephesians begins, chapters 1 through 3, is all about the doctrine. Chapters 1, it's all about our identity in Christ. Chapter 2, we get these great verses about the grace of God, our grace, that we were saved by grace. And then it talks about being one in Christ. Gentiles and Jews alike are saved by grace. And then in chapter 4, we have this turn, and it it says, Therefore, in light of all of chapters 1, 2, and 3, walk worthy of Christ. And then there's these awesome passages, walking worthy of Christ, of, of, of being filled with the Spirit, of walking in love. And then you have these great texts, right? The marriage anthem. You know it, right? Husbands, you better know it. Wives, it's good to know it too. But the marriage anthem in the end of chapter 5, so beautiful uh, of looking at marriage, husbands and wives, and Christ in the church. It's awesome. And then you have children and parents, and us, us uh, parents like that verse, children obey your parents, um, bond servants, masters. And then it ends with this epic picture of the armor of God. It's sweet. It is a beautiful, glorious, amazing book. So you read it, and you're like, Paul, he must have been like sitting on the shores of Hawaii or on this luxury cruise. Just life is good as he goes through this great book as he pens it. You know where he was, right? He's a prisoner of the Lord. What? A prisoner of the Lord? It says in in chapter 4, verse 1, he's a prisoner of the Lord, and we know Paul spent a lot of time in prison. And so thinking of the context, you know, if there was ever a person that I would expect to be depressed, it would be Paul. I mean, Paul, he just... He goes 150% for the Lord all the time. He's preaching the gospel. He's, he's planting churches. He's, he's building up the saints, right? And what, has happened, how, what does he get in return? What's his payment back? He gets beaten. He gets persecuted. He gets rejected. He gets shipwrecked, right? He's going all, all in for the Lord. And, and, and it's so easy. I don't know if you ever get like this, but... God, right, I'm serving you here. What's the deal? When is the blessings going to start coming, right? I'm faithful to you, God. I'm doing everything, and yet we can quickly be, woe is God. God, why? Why are things going this way? When we feel like we're faithful to him, Paul doesn't do that. In fact, when you read books that he wrote when he was in prison, it's like he's just overflowing with joy. Philippians is crazy how often he talks about joy and rejoicing in prison. Why? Why would he have that attitude? Because in my title of this message, and if Paul was living in the 21st century, I think he would put it like this, hashtag blessed in Christ. Now, I'm a youth guy, okay? I'm trying to be hip, but I'll be totally honest with you. I don't really know how this hashtag thing works, okay? <laughs> so so I, don't, I don't tweet. Um, I had to get a Twitter account when I was going through my credential, and, and I never used it. I just think it was a requirement, but then we didn't have to use it, so that kind of worked out in my favor. I don't do social media, really. It's not my thing. Um, 
But I, you know, I read, I like sports. So I read sports articles and I'll see little tweets and they, they have their little hashtag something. So I'm not sure if I'm really using it in this proper context. I don't really care. Hashtag blessed in Christ. That's my message this morning. And Paul would declare hashtag blessed in Christ because he wasn't looking at his circumstances about his blessing. He was looking at his identity in Christ. And if Paul would do that out of all that he went through, sitting in prison, laboring for Christ, that's what his payment for laboring for Christ, if he could do that in his circumstances, I hope I can do the same. So to the saints, continuing in verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. This is a key point here, written to the saints. That means Christians. When we think of saints, a lot of times we think of, you know, oh, these, these, these great saints, St. Saint Thomas, St. Saint Paul. But the Bible just says a saint is a Christian, someone who is following Christ. So if you have chosen to follow Christ, guess what? You are a saint. Say it. I am a saint. Am a saint. Welcome to first grade, my friends. You are a saint, and, and it says, written to saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Man, this chapter is sweet. You are going to love it. But I don't, want to, I don't want you to leave here delusional. If you are not in Christ, this does not apply to you. Let me make that very clear. This passage are for those who are in Christ. I hope you are in Christ today. And before we close, I'm going to encourage you to be in Christ. But you don't have to wait. Right now, you can be in Christ. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you believe in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and surrender to him as Lord and Savior, you will be saved, and you will be in Christ, and this will be true to you. So do that now. You can do it in your heart, and this applies to you. And trust me, you're going to want this to apply to you. But this is for you if you are in Christ. This isn't a maybe. This isn't dependent on your circumstances. This is your truest reality. See, we live by the way we see, right? That's just natural. But the truth is, more reality is where, who we are spiritually. So this is who you are in Christ. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it starts with grace. You need grace, of course, before peace, before you have peace with God. Grace, and grace often is defined as getting what we don't deserve, getting what we don't deserve. And that's really what this passage is all about, all the, all the grace that we have. But of course, getting what we don't deserve means that we deserve something else, right? We're sinners. We deserve punishment. Our sin should be paid for, and we should pay for it. But God has given us grace. Now, I could stop here, and I think we could all leave like, goodness, we are hashtag blessed in Christ, right? Grace, that alone is just ridiculous that we would have grace in Christ because we're getting something we don't deserve, right? Usually we think of heaven, but there's so much more we're going to see through here. We're just starting. Grace and peace. Now, peace is an awesome word. The root word, it's believed to, to have the idea of to join, so when you think of peace, it's not just this great tranquility of, like, absence of war. I, I think about peace in my home or the lack of peace in my home. I have three young kids, and, um, you know, there's often contentions and, and outbursts, and, and just, it's just crazy and nuts and loud. Uh, but I could do something in my boys' room. My boys share a room, and I could put tape down 
down the middle of the room and I could say, okay, Ezra, this is your half. Luke, this is your half. You are not allowed to cross each other's halves. I'm not sure how they're going to get out the door, but they'll just figure it out. Um, you're not allowed to speak to one another. You are at peace with one, one, one another. Leave each other alone. Do not be at war. But that's not the peace that it's talking about here. Joining speaks of a relationship. And that's the peace we have with God. It's not just that we are not condemned by God or we're no longer enemies towards God. But now we have peace. We have a relationship with him. We're joined together. And isn't that our heart for our kids? It's not that we don't want them to be fighting. I mean, that's probably what, that's how we feel sometimes is frustrated, right? But aren't we blessed when we see them playing together? Oh, gosh, it just makes your daddy, your mommy heart melt when you see your kids, not like because they're being demanded to play nice together, but because they want to play nice together. We love it. Okay, you hear that, youth? Okay. Yeah, that'd be nice to your brother and sister. Blesses your parents. But that's what we want, and that's what God wants, relationship with us. Not just, oh, I agree, God, I will leave you alone, young man. And God, I will leave you alone. You do what you want up there, I'll do what I want. No, relationship, that's what peace speaks of. Verse 3, blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He begins, as he talks about the blessings, the natural response to being blessed by God, to realize hashtag blessed in Christ, is to want to bless God. It's to say, God, you rock. That's the idea of blessed be God, is to say, honor be to you, glory be to you, you're good. That's what a heart sings out, and I hope we declare that as we see how blessed we are, that we declare his blessing. Now notice this next part of this blessing. I want you to notice three things how many blessings we have, the type that they are, and their location. We have not some blessings, not a couple, not just the leftover blessings. No, we have every spiritual blessing, not physical blessing. Notice that, spiritual blessing. It's important that you hear that. And notice the location, heavenly, not earthly, okay? So it speaks of of these spiritual heavenly, heavenly blessings. And what's great about that is that speaks of the difference between an eternal blessing and a temporary physical blessing. Okay, I like physical blessings, don't you? Right? Right, they're great. But they come and they go. Wealth comes and goes. Physical blessings, they come and go. Um, but spiritual blessings, because they're located in the heavenly places, they are permanent, every. They, do, they don't run low, They always stay at full account, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. All right, time for call and response again. Say, I am chosen. Okay. I don't know about you, I'm pretty stoked about this. Like, this is sweet. Hashtag blessed in Christ. So you could say, I'm chosen if you want, but I'm going to say it with some enthusiasm. So do you want to try it again? I am chosen. chosen. In class, I say my turn, your turn. We'll do that in a minute. I am chosen, okay? Now, I want to address, we get into passages like this, and, and some of you might, your eyebrows might be raised a little bit. Where are we going to go with this? Um, there's some terms here in this passage 
that point to God's sovereignty. We have this term chosen. We have the word predestined used twice in this passage. The, con- the, the idea of predestined or, or God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility is a heated discussion. It has divided churches. Um, people get really fixed on this idea, and I'm not really going to go too in-depth in it. I'm just going to teach the Bible what it says in the particular verse we happen to be at right now. Um, but I do want to address a couple things with it. Um, the Bible teaches God's in control, that he's sovereign. I believe that. The Bible teaches that man is responsible. I believe that because the Bible says it. How do they work together? We don't really know. The best way I've been able to reconcile it is I look at prayer. I, think, I see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility so united when we pray, at least when we pray supplicational type prayer requests. Okay? Let me explain that. If I'm pl- praying for something, I'm asking God to help me with something, I pray to God because I know he's in control. I don't have the ability to do it. He's sovereign, not me. So I go to him because he is in control. But if I only thought that he was in control and I had no part or no responsibility in it, I would not pray, at least not supplicational type prayers. Certainly I would praise him. But why would I even pray to him if there wasn't some element of my responsibility? They unite in prayer because God is in control. He's going to be the one that's going to do it. But somehow I don't know how he listens to me. And it's amazing. But he hears me out and he wants to respond as I come to him in faith. They're united. I don't know how this all works, how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility fits in. But somehow it does. In this passage, we're going to see both right now. It talks about God's sovereignty, and so I'm going to be excited about that for the moment, okay? God's sovereignty, I am chosen. I love that, chosen in Christ. Isn't it amazing that he's selected us, okay? Now, when I say that, I'm not saying he selected us and not others. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that he has selected me because I am in Christ, and I'm reading that, and I believe that in faith. And I think about junior high or elementary school, even even on, on Friday, I was playing, playing some basketball with some fourth graders. And, of course, you know, you have these team captains. And you know what's going to happen, right? They're going to start selecting. And I know you're a teacher and you're a guy teacher, so people, like, the, the kids love you. It's like it's not really fair, but they love me because I'm a guy teacher. So I know I'm going to be picked, you know, probably fairly quickly. But I just cringe because I just think about those kids that are going to get picked last. You know, I, I don't like it. Um, and I usually... Typically, I intervene. I don't, even, I don't like doing it that way. I have a different method of picking teams. But you ever feel like that, right? Like the odd man out, the last person chosen? Not with God. Uh-uh. He wants us. He chose us. Chose us to be on his team. Pretty excited about that. And notice, when it says chosen, check out the time frame. This is nuts. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Okay? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God, stop, pause. We need to take a little break. Before we get to created the heavens and the earth and all this great stuff, before the foundation of the world, he chose you and I. Crazy, right? Before we've done anything, before we've done a lot of foolish things, speaking at least for myself, he's chosen us. We haven't earned his favor or his grace. That's why it's grace. He chose us. That's nuts, he hasn't created anything. Like Yosemite hasn't been made or destroyed by the flood, you know. Um, you know, nothing has happened yet. He hasn't created anything. But yet, we're already chosen in him. Chosen, check out what we're chosen for. 
Oh, that we should be holy and without blame. You know, God didn't choose us for, to be like robots. He didn't choose us to, um, you know, he could have chosen us for anything. Holiness, to be set apart, to be without blame. That's what he's chosen us for. Man, is it sweet. But it continues with, with what we're chosen for, being predestined to be, to be adopted, to be adopted as sons, to be his kids. In, this was written when the Roman Empire was in, in rule and reign, and, and adoption was actually common in, in the Roman Empire. It was something that they had laws for. And when you were adopted, um, you, you le- literally left the other family. You're no longer part of that former family, and you are now as if you were a legitimate child of that new family. You're adopted, and you have all the rights as if you were a legitimate son. Now, I don't like the word legitimate son. Um, it's kind of a t- tender word for, for me and my wife. Um, as we have three adopted kids. But, but that was the culture that you could adopt, bring them into the family, and you have the rights of the child. They are legitimate children. They have the rights of that family. So adoption is sweet. And, and for me personally, I have a lot of really high callings in life. Um, I'm a teacher. That's a, I think that's a pretty big and high calling. Um, my responsibilities at work. I'm a father. It's a pretty big high calling. I am a wi- I'm, I'm a husband. <laughs> Woo! I'm a husband. That's a pretty high calling. But I think the highest calling I have in, in, my, in my life, the biggest responsibility is I'm a child of God. That's my highest calling, a child of God. It's my greatest joy, too, and I love being a dad, and I love being a husband. But I am also a child of God. What a high calling that we have to be child to be children of God, to be his kids. Now, as I mentioned before, that, that um, we've adopted, and I want to share a little bit of our story as it relates to this, these verses, because these verses played a big part into our adoption. When my wife and I felt like it was time to start um, having a family and having kids, we, um, we prayed, and, and, and typically we'd already talked about adoption, and that's um, you know, very common. Couples talk about it, but typically what you do is you have birth kids, and you struggle with them, and then you um, adopt kids. Um, but we felt like the Lord was calling us to something different. And this verse is one of the reasons why. We felt like he said, no, adopt first. Start with adoption. Um, and so we went through that route. Because for us, we didn't want to adopt as a plan B. It wasn't like, well, you know, it didn't quite work out trying to have birth kids, so I guess we'll just, we'll just, we'll just adopt as if it's like not that great of an option. Bummer. You know, no, for us, no, we want to adopt. It's something we're excited to do. We, we want it to go in that direction, not a plan B. Just like for us, God adopting us is not a plan B. He didn't, it's like, oh, he wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve sinned. I didn't, if I had known that was going to happen, I would have done things totally different. No, he planned before the foundation of the world. He chose you for adoption. He knew exactly what Adam and Eve would do and how we would continue in that, that lives of sin, and he chose to adopt us. And so that was big for my wife and I, for our adoption stories that we chose to adopt because it wasn't a plan B. We wanted, that's something we felt God, as we prayed, we felt he was calling us to that. So one of the things you do when you, many hoops you have to go through when you, when you plan on adopting, one of them is you have to go see a doctor. They got to check you out, make sure you're healthy enough to, um, to manage a kid, I guess. So I go, and I didn't have a doctor at the time, so my wife works, she's a nurse, she works at the hospital, she gets me hooked up with this doctor, his name is Dr. Claw right? If only my name was Inspector Gadget, it would have been 
perfect. Dr. Claw, how awesome is that? Oh, so you go in and he asks you questions like what? You know, he checks your health. And he starts asking me about why are we wanting to adopt? So first I'm all excited like, yeah, I'm going to drop the gospel on this guy because that's why we're adopting. It's because of what God has done for us. That's why we're adopting is his love for us. So I'm so excited. But then he's questioning me and, and like he's not getting it. Like what? You don't have infertility issues. You guys haven't tried. Like why would you possibly do this? This doesn't make any sense. So I started getting a little annoyed to be totally honest. Got a little in the flesh. Is it so wrong to say that we wanted to adopt? Why are, you, why are you adopting? We want to. What other reason should I have to adopt? We want to. We want to bring this child into our home. It's our delight. It's our pleasure. And it has been our pleasure to bring Ezra, Luke, and Rebecca into our home. It's our delight to have them, to choose them, to be a part of our family. We are so blessed. Well, notice what it says at the last part of verse 5, that he adopted us as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, check this out, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's God's delight to adopt us. Not a plan B, not a oops. No. His delight, his joy. Does that make you feel pretty special? Man, hashtag blessed in Christ. That he has adopted us as his because he wanted to. That was his desire. Nuts. Totally nuts. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. We're going to talk more about this idea of the praise of, the, of his glory. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. So maybe you've noticed some phrasing that's happening throughout this passage. We see in him, in Christ, in the beloved. We see that over and over again because that's the idea. This is who we are in Christ. Okay? So here... I am accepted. I am accepted. Gosh, I love it. I think the opposite, of course, being rejected. Um, none of you have ever experienced that, I'm sure. Um, I am accepted. It, the idea of this acceptance is highly favored. To be, to, to be given special honor. That's the idea of this word. Oh, highly favored one. God's favor. But we're accepted by him and if you've ever experienced rejection, we know what that's like. Not with God. Uh-uh. With him, we are in the in crowd. Okay, when we get down at that lunch table in junior high, they're not going to all desert. You know, they, they might reject us and desert us and leave us stranded. Not with God. Uh-uh. We are with him. We're with the in crowd. We have a permanent fast pass to God's presence. Is that what it's called at Disneyland, right? There's that fast pass. You get to go. You get to bypass the line. We're accepted into Christ. We go straight access to him. We don't have to wait in line. Full access. Okay, we are VIP with the king of kings. Very important person to him. I am accepted. Well, it continues. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption. Say, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Mm, that's what I'm talking about. With authority and confidence. Redemption speaks of a debt. You redeem something that has a debt, okay? So we had a debt, right? We know what that is. The wages of sin is death, okay? That's our debt, the wage. Our sin has earned a debt, okay, death. So redemption speaks of, in a lot of ways, our worth, okay? Because that debt had to be paid for. So 
we, Ezra had a birthday party yesterday. I had a lot of fun, and, you know, he got presents, and he's got some gift cards and things. And so, you know, you take your kid to, to Target or to the store, and they want to spend money, and, and it's their money. Of course, they have to, we have to be okay with what they're going to buy. But it's this hard balance where you want them to have some responsibility and learn, you know, and, and get what they desire. But then you don't want them to buy junk, right? You don't want them to buy something that's totally useless. Like, it's going to break before it even gets out of the box, Okay, and I'm, you know, I'm just, it's hard for me because I like good deals. I like, you know, I, I just, I don't want it to just fall apart. And I want him to play with it, you know? So it's like so hard for me to like accept it's his gift card. He could use it what he wants, but uh, just don't, don't, you know, you try to, you know, urge him in the right direction, you know, nudge him. Um, but, you know, you also teach him that, that, you know, things that you buy, the, the higher the higher quality it is, it's going to cost a little bit more. You might need to save up a little bit more um, to buy something with better quality because things with better quality, better things cost more, right? It's just natural. Better things cost more, okay? It's just how it works, typically. Um, so I think about that with the Lord. You realize what he did for us? His blood purchased us. Jesus doesn't buy useless and worthless things. And we, when we belittle ourselves and we put ourselves down, and this is what really hurts me when I see kids do this, I want them to get this idea, is that belittles Christ and what he did on the cross. Because the cost of our redemption was very costly. It was very expensive. It was the cost of God's son, his blood. That's how we are redeemed. And he buys expensive things. He buys us. That's what he bought. Okay? He paid a lot for something that was worth a lot. You and I. Okay? I am redeemed in Christ. And he was willing to pay the greatest price. Jesus Christ, his blood poured out for us that we would be forgiven. So I'm redeemed, and because I'm redeemed, I am forgiven. Say, I am forgiven. We live in condemnation, right? That's where our hearts dwell. Condemnation, we mess up. Oh, I shouldn't have said that thing and certainly shouldn't have done that thing and gosh I can't believe I thought that thing but not that's not our true reality we need to realize that in Christ we are forgiven everything you have said that is wrong everything you have done that is wrong everything you have thought and that's where it gets me because I've thought some wicked things it has been paid for and it's been for, it's been forgiven it's gone it's done by Jesus' work on the cross, I am forgiven. Oh, I love being forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Hashtag blessed in Christ. According to the riches of his grace, continuing in verse 8, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, he knew what he was doing. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So we have here the mystery of his will. We, we see this, um, this phrase uh, of mystery. We see it here. We see it in, in chapter 2 some more. Um, and it's spoken of in different ways in, in, in the New Testament. Um, here it's talking about that, that the purpose of Christ uniting one, things together. Um, he talks about the mystery of of our salvation or the salvation of the Gentiles to be united with the Jews, OK? 
Okay, so we, we look at these mysteries, but what we see here is God's purpose, his perfect timing. That's what dispensation of the fullness of times points to is God's perfect timing and purpose, pur- setting things at the right time for Christ and his death, his resurrection, um, to accomplish his purposes for us to be redeemed and found in Christ. In 11, we have our next thing that I just think is amazing. In him, we also obtain an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance. So, you know, your inheritance here on earth is based on the wealth of your parents, right? If your parents have a lot of wealth and they love you and leave it to you because they could do something else, um, then you could have a, a great inheritance, right? Is our, is our God wealthy? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. He owns a thing or two, like the whole world. And universe, we have a wealthy God, and we have an inheritance in Him, a heavenly inheritance. Heavenly, we got to remember the perspective of where it is and not get our eyes so fixed on these things here on earth, but the heavenly things. Hashtag blessed in Christ for our inheritance in heaven in Him. Verse 12 that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. We're to live to the praise of His glory. As we've talked about all these blessings, and we're going to review them in a minute here. But, man, are you in awe yet of who you are in Christ? Is it crazy, the love he has lavished, the grace that we have? Well, that should cause us to live to the praise of his glory. I love to go on hikes. It's one of my favorite things to do. I don't do it too often anymore, but when we lived in the Central Coast, I'd hike all the time. We were out um, at at, uh, youth retreat a few weeks ago. And we got up early to start cooking breakfast. Before I started that, I went out for a few minutes and went on a little walk by myself. Had my, my iPod, listening to some praise. And this beautiful landscape, enjoying God's presence. This, it was just amazing. And when I get out and I do hikes and I see this God's amazing cre- creation, it does something in my soul. Now, when I was a teenager, uh-uh, didn't want to hike. Because I think, like, the third rule of being a teenager is you're lazy. Right? I'm not sure what one or two is, but at least for me. I don't want to, like, why would you walk, right? You got cars, okay? But I also wasn't saved, so I got saved. And you go up these hills, and now I love to do a hike. Do I have any outdoors people over here? Yeah. All right. When I go up and I see God's creation, my soul inside me just wants to scream out and just, yeah, God. Woo! Like, God, you rock. Look what you did. This is amazing. My soul just, it just, I can't contain it, okay? And I'm not the most demonstrative person, but when I'm kind of like, like in the car sometimes or sometimes at home or, or like I'm alone, woo, man, I just want to praise God my soul. I'd look at creation. I just, God, you're so good. Well, the same here for us. Are you to the praise of his glory? Do people look at you? And, and do they say, wow, man, look what God can do. Look what he all, he made all this out, out of nothing. He made this whole creation out of nothing. Look what he could do with Mike to the praise of his glory. Hashtag blessed in Christ that our lives would make others applaud God and they would see that he is an awesome God, blessed God, deserving all glory and honor because we live hashtag blessed in Christ. No, it's not over. 13. We're, we're getting to an end here. But man, it's good stuff. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. A couple of words here that are really key for us to point out. One, how are we saved? That's another key thing here. I am saved. What am I saved by when I trusted in God and when I um, believed in the gospel? Okay? Those words are really important. That talks about man's responsibility. Okay? We're going to highlight God's sovereignty when the scripture talks about it. And we're going to highlight man's responsibility when the scripture talks about it. Trusting is something you do. Believing is something you do. Believing in the gospel. And man, am I thankful for the gospel. So as we've done that, what, what do we get? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and makes residence in our lives. God is inside of me. Nuts. God is dwelling inside of me. Isn't that crazy? And what is he doing? Well, a number of things. We're only addressing one um, idea here about the Holy Spirit. But he is a guarantee of the inheritance, a guarantee of our redemption. Okay? So um, it, it uses this phrase of the purchased possession. And in the 21st century with the internet and online um, stores, we get, an, we get a kind of neat picture of this. You could go online. You can go on to Target.com or some of these big box stores, and you can find that item you want to purchase and you select it, and you put in your credit card, and you've paid for it. It's now your item, right? It's purchased. It's done. So then the workers there, they take that item, and they put it in the back, and they have a receipt, and it says, there it is. Belongs to Mike Markovich. It's his, whatever. It's purchased. It's his. I just haven't gone and picked it up yet, but it belongs to me. That's what the Holy Spirit is to us, that receipt that we have been purchased. We've already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He just hasn't picked us up yet, but he's coming. He is coming, and he's going to come gather us, and whether it's by the rapture or upon, upon us leaving this earth in death, we're going to be picked up by him, and we have a promise of that by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that sweet? That he is inside of us, and we have a guarantee of heaven. Well, the rest of this chapter... It still has such great things. And, and I'm bringing my message to a close here. But there's still a lot, a lot to go here. Just because I'm ending doesn't mean the scripture ends with our hashtag blessed in Christ, right? And there's actually some really sweet stuff in this next passage, but I didn't want to rush it. What I want to do is what Paul does in a moment is he goes through a prayer that he prays for the Ephesians. And in a few minutes, I'm going to, when we go to prayer, what I'd like to do is pray that prayer for us. Is that cool? Can we do that? Good, because I'm going to do it. Um, just, you know, thought I'd ask and be polite. Um, I'm going to pray that prayer for us. And inside it is just sweet nuggets. I, I love it. And I love how it ends about the authority of Christ. And that's something to remember that we're blessed in Christ because we have the King of Kings, and he has all authority and, con- and control. So we need to remember that. But I do want to do a, do a quick recap of, of all the ways we are blessed. Gosh, it's amazing. And I want, I hope that if you are in a season of Eeyore, a season of struggling and darkness, that you would come back to this. Or even if things are going great, that you'd realize that our blessings are not here on earth. And we're thankful for everything, every good and perfect gift that's from above. We're thankful for what the Lord has done in our lives. But in the end, we need to view things spiritually and see our eternal blessing in Christ. So let's go through a few of these things. Just as a quick recap before we go to prayer, we have a great inheritance, 
Our Heavenly Father is very rich, and we have a heavenly inheritance. If you're feeling condemned today in your sin, remember that there is no condemnation in Christ. Rather, I am forgiven. I'm not condemned. I am forgiven. If you're feeling rejected and, and, and outcast today, remind yourself, I am accepted. I am highly favored by God. I may be on the outs here on this earth, but in heaven, I am with the in crowd. If you're feeling abandoned and lonely today, remember, I am a child of God. And it wasn't a plan B. It was a plan A before the foundation of the world that he would adopt us. He chose you. He chose me to be a part of his family, to bear his name. And now we have peace with God. If you're questioning your worth, remember, I am redeemed. God does not purchase worthless things. He doesn't waste his money. And he paid it all. He paid it with his son, Jesus Christ, his blood for our redemption. Now God lives in me, and he has sealed me with the Holy Spirit of promise. So if you feel like you're lacking in blessings today, if you feel like you're lacking in physical blessings, remember you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So join me and let us live to the praise of his glory. And let, let's pray that others applaud God as we do that, that they would see our lives and they'd say, God rocks. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your grace. We are so overwhelmed that you would lavish such great love on us. Lord, we know in one sense we're nobody special, but in another we're very special because you would give your son for us. We thank you for that. With heads bowed, eyes closed, if you find yourself not in Christ this morning, you haven't accepted the gift of his grace. All these great blessings are just a moment away, a phone call away to your heavenly father if you would call out to him. The Bible says we've all sinned and that sin needs to be punished. And Jesus took our sin upon himself and paid it on the cross that if you would call on him, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, you will be forgiven and all of these blessings are yours to have and to claim. I'm going to pray a prayer that you could pray. Pray it in your heart with me as I pray it. And then I'm going to go into finish with Paul's prayer and pray that over us. Let's keep our heads bowed during this time. But Father, pray this with me if you want to receive the Lord. Father, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. God, please forgive me of my sin. Help me to follow you as my Savior and as my Lord. Thank you for all that you've given me, all the grace in Christ. I'm going to pray Paul's prayer. It says that Paul prayed this, and I pray this over Calvary Chapel Manteca, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. Thank you that we are hashtag blessed in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.